Hello. Hi, yes. It's Alice Fraser here. Yes. Yes, of the last post. Yes, of the bugle. Oh my god, yes. I would love to do a bugle spin-off show. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's that all waiting for Andy to retire and that man is looking healthy. What would it sound like? Ah, I mean, probably like the bugle, but you know, the good news. No, 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 not the happy news, the interesting news. No offence to the news, but I am sick of making jokes about Brexit and about stupid politicians saying stupid shit to make stupid people angry. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, like tech news and arts and fun stories about animals and like science and, 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 and life advice and, and who's in style and Hollywood, yes, I guess I can do celebrity news if I have to. Sure, I'll mention flamingos, but I won't be nice about them. Cool, cool. Cool. So when does the first episode come out? Ah, I better get writing. Okay. And what's it called? The gargle. The the gargle? The gargle. Gargle. Alright, sure. The Bugle presents The Gargle with Alice Fraser. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4183 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. It is the 15th of February 2021. It's cold and wet. We've a Bugle to do. And here in the shed, I've switched off my cricket machine temporarily uh, just for you, Buglers. Uh, my my 4am starts are not getting any easier. Um, I'm also back from using my time machine. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't have noticed, obviously, uh, but uh, put it this way, count yourselves very, very lucky that you've not had to deal with the aftermath of the successful Harryhausen Henson presidential ticket in 1976 that, uh, well, <laughs> formally unleashed puppet hell on the USA and indeed the world. Uh, joining me today, uh, on my left, well, she's from Australia, I'm in South London facing west, so she's basically on my left, um, Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, yeah, the, the Henson puppet ticket would be a problem. Uh, here they got a finger in a lot of pies. <laughs> and what they can do with those pies. Uh, how's, uh, how's Australia? Um, we've been... Uh, I was jealously watching some of the tennis the other day in Melbourne with uh, actual crowds, and they've sent them, they sent them all home mid-session when they introduced a new lockdown. They made people leave in the middle of a match so they weren't um, contravening well, the midnight cut-off. Look, Andy, it's really nice when these little, tiny little lockdowns happen because it makes it feel less embarrassing to talk about uh, how we're doing as compared with you if we have the occasional <laughs> glitch in our otherwise seamless luxury lifestyles. <laughs> That's very considerate of you. Those uh, old, old bonds remain strong. And uh, on my right, over there, if you're looking that way, um, which... <laughs> good audio this uh here in london it's <laughs> tiffany stevenson hi i'm very jelly of what alice is getting up to jelly. it feels like trolling you, jelly jelly very, is that is that is that now an official shortening of jealous how time yes. short in do you britain have to be? they call it jam right oh, of course sorry my mistake <laughs> jam with uh, jealousy <laughs> yeah very jelly jelly shortening for 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 jealous envious i don't know i oh, feel right, like okay. alice so, is um uh, Instagram is kind of trolling me, basically. Right. Any Australian people are trolling us right now with their pictures of beaches and going out. <laughs> the um, 
uh, I believe it was Destiny's Child lyric, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. Was that very much an adaptation of uh, Shakespeare's <laughs> Othello, uh, the exploration of, uh, of human jealousy? <laughs> Interesting new um, take on it. Yeah, I think I don't know whether jelly was like more. I always thought jelly in that sense was more about curves, but that is also quite oh, Shakespearean. Right. Okay, yeah, I guess so. This is Bugle four thousand one hundred eighty-three. Uh, by coincidence, four thousand one hundred eighty-three is, according to a computer simulation run this week, the number of puppies that Donald Trump would have to drown in front of the average Republican senator sequentially one after the next before <laughs> that senator would acknowledge that maybe trump is probably a puppy drowner uh now i'm not saying it was a completely reliable computer simulation i'm just putting it out there uh, we are recording on february the 15th uh 2021 making this the 50th anniversary of decimalization in the UK, which uh, came into full force two score and ten years ago, uh, or uh, four dozen and a couple, if you want to go uh, that way. And that um, <laughs> leads us to our uh, section in the bin, which is a commemorative supplement of other British units decommissioned when we went decimal along with the uh, the old uh, the old currency. Uh, these uh, units of British measurement decommissioned when uh, decimalisation happened 50 years ago today included uh, a frodage, which is uh, a unit of liquid volume equivalent to a horse's first urination of the day. Uh, a frodage was used to sell flagons of horse was, which uh, were at the time used as a substitute varnish for church pews. Um, a gammock, that was a unit of time uh, <laughs> equating to one twelfth of a drought, which was the average time it took King Edward I to get over a hangover caused specifically by drinking two cloggins of mead. Um, the, the, the drought was uh, roughly four hours, 15 minutes in today's uh, time. A clogging, uh, of course, being the volume of a large ox's bladder. Um, a clintocule, that's an 18th of a clint, and a clint is a third of a pangelard, which, of course, was the average circumference of a monk's cassock. And it was, of course, illegal in the early days of the Church of England for a monk's dingle-dangle to, uh, to exceed a single uh, clintocule, which duly led to the compulsorization of celibacy. Uh, a yowlard, that went as well, a standard unit of sound measurement, pre-decibel, equivalent to the noise of a screaming heretic being tortured on a rack. Um, and a flound was the recommended distance people were advised to fling a rat during times of plague, uh, which is approximately 30 <laughs> to 40 metres in today's uh, distances, depending on the wind. Well, Andy, yes. uh, actually, the horse urine is why they were called pews in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving all this decimal chat. You make yeah. a great point. Boom. Decimal points. Come on, guys. Come on. Um, <laughs> also, um, so the monks, I think they made up for... Tens? Yay. Tens? What have I done? What have I done? The monks, I think the monks, to make up for their like lack of... Like, you know how they were celibate. I think to make up for that, they used to try and dress like slutty. Do you think there were monks that like would wear their belt really low on their hips to say... <laughs> If I could, I would be up for it. Oh, that's quite an interesting. I mean, there must have been research done into that. You know, the 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 the, the raciest <laughs> monk garments <laughs> in ecclesiastical history. If you are a monk and uh, you like to uh, you like to flaunt it, do write in and tell us the <laughs> best way to wear a, a, a cassock seductively. <laughs> uh, that section in the bin. <laughs> Top story this week, chaos in France. Well, I mean, there has been a tragic setback for France as a nation, a tragic setback indeed for 
Uh, well, national stereotyping the world over because <laughs> France has abandoned everything that makes it special, everything that it uh, stands for, everything the French Revolution was about, and it has legalised the eating of lunch at your desk. Um, I mean, the end of the elongated French lunch is surely yet another staging post, Tiff and Alice, on uh, the decline of humanity <laughs> as, uh, as the world's leading species. Zutalor, Andy. <laughs> Can I just get that out of the way first? Go Please for do. it, Alice. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not just legalised, but it's been recommended in a revised labour protocol uh, that has banned French workers from their common areas for lunchtime. I mean, this next thing you know, they'll be embracing pre-sliced bread and monogamy, Andy. This is so un-French that... <laughs> I think it's actually very good. I think it's a good move really? for the French. It must be exhausting for them to constantly be having three-hour-long wine-filled convivial lunches on picnic rugs by the Seine. Now, at last, they can get their emails done while choking down a wet baguette from Pret like the rest of the world. <laughs> it was a Frenchman, Andy, who wrote, Hell is other people, and he wrote that at his desk at lunch. <laughs> Jean-Paul Sartre's list of office complaints. <laughs> it was a real stickler for paperclips, uh, old Sartre. I mean, as you, as you say, I mean, you know, the, the, the pillars of French society are, are falling you know, one, one by one. I mean, soon they'll be playing ruthlessly efficient, safe percentage rugby. I mean, it, it's heading that way in some ways, and cycling for... <laughs> Cycling for, on occasion, less than three weeks at a time. So, I mean, w I mean, will we still recognise France for for what it is, Tiff? Or I mean, is this? I, is this I know. I mean, I I love the French for their attitude to, towards that. You know, it's the country of l'amour, and they love to eat out. Yep. Hey. And I don't need family, to add family. anything to that. <laughs> but uh, I, I kind of, like, I saw in Emily in Paris was how, I mean, I've been in France. My, my grandmother was, like, half French. So I have, like, French family. And the, that kind of, like, the first episode of Emily in Paris, and they went mad about the stereotypes, but she didn't get invited out to lunch. And it was such a big thing because everyone's out enjoying themselves. And the French have described this move as having to sit at your desk and have a sad desk salad like <laughs> c'est très triste it's so sad you and your little salad and they've banned moments of convi um, conviviality that's how they described it Alice said the word earlier which I love that because you know it's so French it's like making a coffee and it sounds like fun socialising and that's not my experience of being in an office uh, I mean, when I worked in the office my, those moments were mainly complaining about the biscuits and pervy dug in accounts staring at your tits again <laughs> they weren't really moments of conviviality I like the French's attitude towards this towards like enjoying life <laughs> so this yeah this has been brought about by the many and varied impacts of uh, of covid so yeah it is now legal for french workers to stay in their office for lunch or as it is known in france lunch and uh, <laughs> eat, uh, they're allowed now to eat at their desks or as they're known in france les tableaux laborieux de utilitarianisme optimal pour la poursuivance de toutes les artifices et compétences de l'administration des travail pécuniaire et de la maintenance des office equipment pendant toutes les heures et donc dans ainsi bien sûr aussi tous les journaux professionnels um the uh, 
the the previous punishment for eating lunch at your desk um uh, well i think it was 10 years in jail um which is what we're now giving for most crimes these days here in britain which is <laughs> we may touch on later in the show uh, also a six-month ban on wearing berets and more tellingly the grave punishment of missing out on sitting for three hours eating creasus rich food that can sit you down for a week um i mean it, it, yeah. it's, it, it is such a I mean, uh, obviously, my my, my, uh, my experience of France is at best uh, touristically superficial. Um, but I think my favourite French lunch moment. I went there many years ago with my uh, with uh, with my wife for a, I think it was an anniversary trip, and we had um, lunch in a, a, a stupidly ridiculous uh, French restaurant, where um, there was some confusion amongst the uh, the waiting staff as they brought out a little uh, um, tray with some chocolates on to go with our coffee at the end of the meal and this guy brought a tray out and he just stood there with this panicked look in his eye and uh just standing there with these chocolates on a tray and then he was kind of looking around but and so rather than just putting the tray down or asking us to, to take the, the chocolates off he had to wait for another waiter to come and remove the chocolates with tongs to then put them on a little plate <laughs> On the, yeah. That was how formal the waiting was in that. Re- I mean, that, that was, I think, the most French moment I've ever experienced. How, food how does everyone there not have gout, like, all the time? <laughs> <laughs> we, I went to um, to Cannes to, like, it was, like, a, for a corporate gig. This was a few years ago. And Paul and I, like, every day just ate saucisson, uh, cheese, drank red wine, and watch people walk past with Pomeranians in baby papooses. Because <laughs> the weirdest, like the French lifestyle, and they don't, you can't criticise it them on it because they just, they don't care. And they're like, you're English, so you're embarrassing. Like, that's the attitude. This is how confident French people are as well, that like on the streets, there were condom machines. Like on the street, you could go to a condom vending machine. That is how confident French people are that they're going to get laid at any moment. (laughs) They need access to like a street condom. And I, for one, I am, I'm impressed by that. I aspire to that level of confidence and enjoyment of life. And I wish we had a, a law here that banned a sad desk salad from Pret. I wish we had that law. Yeah. Well, Pret, uh, of course, the, uh, well, ironically, the, a chain of um, oh, well, French named um, kind of words. Well, basically, they provide adequate sandwiches and other forms of uh, edible ambivalence. Um, and I think it's, it's a French term, pret a manger, which I think means ready to give birth to a messiah child. In <laughs> agricultural equipment is currently available at the inn. Um, I mean, uh, Alice, do you think um, this could prove decisive in the 2022 French presidential election that... Um, yeah, under Macron's stewardship, they've basically stolen lunch from out of French bushes. I mean, that's a that's a pretty risky play from his point of view, isn't it? I mean, almost certainly this will cause uh, chaos in the streets, um, but because they're not allowed to leave their desks, it will be chaos at their desks. <laughs> Desk-bound <laughs> chaos. That's, that's something Just- that is unique to our times, I think. <laughs> Putting on some real aggressive filters. Spelling out the words liberty, fraternité, galité in bread rolls on the roof as a form of as a form of protest. But it, I mean, it is still unclear how it's going to go down with uh, French workers. I imagine they'll be getting very cross uh, about oh, it. Um, I have a, fr- a French fa- friend of mine is particularly uh, particularly angry. He rang me up the other day. He said, uh, "I like uh, duck à l'orange for my lunch, but uh, in the modern work world and the time available for lunch breaks, I can hardly get out for lunch and back in time." 
And he said that uh, my boss is always there waiting to gloat over any slip-ups I make in the afternoon after a boozy lunch. As soon as I make a mistake, ta-ta, he says. (laughs) My friend also said that he uh, he said, I I like to have two pairs of uh, two dumpling-type things, but I'm not allowed that anymore. Forking hell. Um, But uh, what a pile of crepes, he continued. But uh, I cannot be any any clearer about this. Uh, <laughs> mainly Chris's face at this point so. <laughs> we've got to we've got to keep moving for, forward he said we've got a poisson um, but we are best out of this uh, even if it has taught us a valuable lesson we have to get over it and uh, anyway uh, with a la- lack of time to uh, he was very worried about the lack of time to have a proper cheese course as well he said oh, come on bear it they should be reasonable and compte their senses it could backfire as well he said they've made a rock for their own back um, he also complained that uh, the police turned up when his, uh, uh, him and his, uh, his his girlfriend were, were having having lunch not at their desk. And he said they tried to arrest they tried to arrest my mistress. He said uh, I said leave her out of this. It's not a price worth paying. Andy, this is too early. I didn't know. I didn't know why you wanted to do this story first, and right. now it's abundantly anyway. obvious. Well, I, 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 in fact, I had, had to have lunch with him the other day. I could tell he was upset because I tried to get his attention by gently hitting him on the shoulder with my fingers, but he didn't react even though I was tapping hard. And, uh, oh. he, he, uh, and, he, and to be honest, I mean, you could see how upset he was. He's very French. He barely even, flated, barely even flirted with a very shapely waitress. So he didn't even look at her rack, let alone chatter up. <laughs> Anyway, but it'd be interesting to see. I could, I mean, it could swing the uh, French president's election towards the uh, the right wing from national. I can see Nigel Farage getting involved, trying to add his weight uh, behind the campaign. I imagine he'll be driving around France in a little truck and will become known as the Coco Van. <laughs> right, I'm done here. I always thought a- Coco Van was sex in the back of a transit, Andy. Yeah. So I'm glad it's just Nigel Farage in a van. <laughs> Andy, uh, you made a, a real meal out of that, but I made a meal for you. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, is it time to move on to other lunch news? Um, I think it probably is. Um, uh, Joe Biden <laughs> has issued a striking warning to America about the challenges that lie ahead with regard to its uh, relationship with China. Now, amongst the uh, myriad things in Joe Biden's intro as he uh, takes over control of the raging rhinoceros that is America after the previous rider of that rhinoceros had kneecapped it, sold its horns on the black market and told it that it was a walrus. Uh, dealing with China could be one of the toughest things he's facing. And he had his first telephone uh, chinwag with the Chinese leader Xi Jinping last week. They nattered on like a pair of teenagers about all kinds of silly stuff like the future relationship between the world's two most powerful nations, the environment and shit like that, and the best noodle dish to eat seductively on a date. And to show the US public exactly how tricky this is going to be, Biden spoke to them in the only language that can possibly penetrate to enough of the US electorate. He told them that China will eat America's lunch. Now that surely is one way. We talk about the difficulty of of communicating with all sides of the political spectrum. This shows, you know, Biden is reaching out. He's talking to America in terms that surely all Americans can understand. The stealing of lunch. The problem, of course, is that China doesn't need to eat the US's lunch. They have child slave labour and Uyghur work camps to make all the lunch they need. And in fact, much of the lunch that the US is buying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... It's. Uh, I mean, I don't know what how I'd re- respond if the Chinese Communist Party threatened to eat my lunch. I think I'd probably get straight down to the kill and start firing an absolute motherload of terracotta warriors to defend my. Uh, <laughs> no, I, mean, I expect America to do the same. But um, 
I mean, I guess, yeah, when it comes to... I mean, the whole issue, when it, thinking about exactly what China has planned for the world is one of those things that uh, makes many people in the traditional Western powers understandably decide not to spend any time thinking about exactly what China has planned for the world. It, <laughs> it cannot possibly end well. Other food news now. The World Health Organization has suggested that coronavirus, the uh, celebrity uh, virus that you've probably heard of uh, over the last year or so, uh, could have come from frozen food. Um, as Oscar Wilde said, there is no more terrible beast than a wronged fish finger. And uh, I mean, this. <laughs> I mean, Alice, I know that you have been, uh, you know, keeping a very close eye on all the conspiracy theories surrounding uh, COVID. But I mean, this is. Is this the least exciting one we've had yet? We had, you know, rogue pangolins, <laughs> biological warfare by a pseudo-communist superpower. We've had Bill Gates implanting special little robots in people's eyeballs or whatever it is. But now we could just be looking at the revenge of the nugget. Well, so, Andy, this is the least exciting option, uh, except for the Chinese state media. Uh, so this idea that it was sort of carried inside or on the surface of some frozen food was put forward with a number of other scenarios that are much more likely by a joint World Health Organization and Chinese investigation. And Chinese state media were like, it's definitely this one. Uh, the reason they love the story of it possibly being from frozen food is that it could place the source of the virus outside of China uh, from an animal imported from another a country, even though it's very unlikely the Chinese state media loves bad things not being China's fault. <laughs> That's their favourite thing, apart from denying workplace human rights abuses and talking about how buff Xi Jinping is. I don't... <laughs> Look, I don't really give a where the virus came from at this point none of us are ever traveling internationally anywhere ever again and i can be mean about xi jinping i'm never going to visit china suck my dick xi jinping <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's um uh, your new um spin-off podcast isn't it uh, to go along with the forthcoming the gargle with alice fraser from the uh, people's stable suck my dick xi jinping <laughs> Um, I hope it's not frozen food. I hope it didn't come through frozen food because that'll be why mums won't go to Iceland. <laughs> and I just don't think they could afford to take the hit right now. Uh, that is Iceland, the supermarket chain, not the country, obviously. Mums do go to Iceland because the football players from there are incredibly fit. <laughs> so, um, and, and also very well organised, to be fair. To well, I mean, obviously, you know, that's really how they've managed to uh, have so much success on the... I mean, not just their fitness that you've correctly pointed out, but really the, you know, the team structure's been highly efficient as well. Yes, stop me objectifying men, Andy. I think that's a good that's a good way for this podcast. I don't want to go down that route too early. Um, but, uh, I mean, obviously, it's been spoken about it being a zoonotic disease for the longest time, which Alice was saying, which is a d disease that originates in animals, then goes on to infect humans. And we've seen these before, like that time that I had a rampant desire for sugar puffs, where, which I caught off the honey monster. Um, and it was also the time I started wearing false eyelashes and acting like a slut after hanging out with a caramel bunny. These diseases <laughs> have been around for a long time. So I think, you know, I, I think we should focus on the true source, which is zoonotic. I don't know what pangolins do by like what their vibe is. Right. I haven't seen a, an, an, an anthropomorphized pangolin. So yeah. I need to know, you know. It's going to be a hard sell these days, I think, isn't it? You know, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the cartoon pangolin. So. <laughs> uh, then we need to rehabilitate the image of the pangolin at this point. It was it was a fairly blameless creature for centuries. I would say, you know, longer than centuries, decades even. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I didn't even know what it was till the pandemic. I'd never even heard of a pang. Is it looks like a little anteater? Type. I thought it was it was a musical instrument in the in the 16th century. <laughs> I, think, wasn't it? I heard it was on the White Album. I heard they played <laughs> Pangolin on the White Album. Look, it's a very cute animal, and I refuse to believe that it is a vector of disease because Disney cartoons have taught me that anything that is bad is also like mean looking, but in a sexy way. <laughs> Pangolins are neither mean looking nor sexy looking. <laughs> Brexit food disaster news now, and um, well, I mean, this this could be, you know, amongst all the divisions caused by Brexit. I mean, it's possible that this story could be the one that really sunders the United Kingdom into fragments around the world, and finally breaks any hope of a harmonious relationship we have with, with Europe. Um, custard cream biscuits. Uh, have become unavailable in parts of the EU uh, due to uh, Brexit customs uh, regulations. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to any Bugle listeners uh, to whom I'm breaking this news. Uh, I'm, I'll, we'll try and deal with this this very difficult topic as sensitively as we as we possibly can. Uh, Alice, I mean, you, you bring an, an objective view from from, from the Southern Hemisphere, um, and uh, as a um, published author on the history of. Uh, um, British biscuitry. Um, it, I mean, just, just, just let us. I mean, uh, fundamentally, British supermarkets that have stores in Europe have had supply problems with goods such as whiskey and custard cream, which are the big two for British expats in Europe. Most British expats in Europe live on only whiskey and custard creams. Um, I mean, what what are the implications here? Is there, is there any hope? Um, my my favourite bit about this was in a Daily Mail article in which a shop assistant called Tracy Tracy Smith was quoted, and what she said was. Digestive biscuits are missing, popcorn is missing, Walker's shortbreads are missing, oat cakes are missing. She has just described the list of the most blandy, Anglo, carby. <laughs> like all of those things are just mildly different textures of exactly the same thing. Like like everything in Anglo cooking other than pie, and that's just the same thing with a squishy middle. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's beige food. We love beige food, Alice. What's your, refuse- what's your beef? It's just it's just making rusks valid for adults, essentially. <laughs> I refuse to believe that anyone can tell the difference between any of these foods. <laughs> this well, is a fact- really crummy story, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't complain about that, I guess. Um, the, um, oh, snap. But, but I mean, that, that, that is the test of, you know, whether you are true, uh, tr- you know, true Brit, is if you can tell the difference between... You know, entirely bland, flavourless biscuits. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like princesses sleeping on fifty mattresses can feel a um, <laughs> feel a pea on the bottom one, can't they? It's the same with yeah. with British. The the, you know, the can you eat an oat cake? Scones are uh, gone as well. Oh, but we can can we stop pre- pretending we actually give a shit about scones when the real issue is whether you put jam or cream first, and everyone knows it's jam first. Otherwise, you're a heathen. Right. Like we like arguing about that more, I think, than we enjoy eating the scones themselves. You can shake your head at me, Christopher, <laughs> and say that you do cream first, but yeah, I say I do, I do, I de- bloody do. You're a I degenerate. Put in, I put them on in vertical stripes and then eat the scone sideways. Is that? <laughs> it's, good, it's good compromise. Good compromise. I mean, there's enough division in this country as it is. Um, tiff, tiff, without deepening these. I mean, the, the custard cream, though, I mean, it's I mean, this it's not just any biscuit. This is, you know, the most British of all 
Bick Bick sits the Bick that suckled King Arthur himself, the nibble wherewith St George distracted the mighty dragon before slaying it with a chocolate hobnob. It's the sweet, crunchy <laughs> treat that nourished the mighty Picts as they fought off the Martian invasion of 93 BC. Not sure if that's public domain yet. It's the snacksome delight that gave Churchill hope that the war could be won in the dark days of 1940, and he, he ate a custard cream and thought, if the two biscuits involved in a custard cream can sandwich the creamy bit so well, then maybe Germany too could be held in from both the West and the East. So, I mean, it is a historic biscuit. Not just for Britain, for 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 Europe, and now, um, yeah, as a result of Brexit, yeah, there's 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 a custard creamless void in, in the life of the continent. Well, the torture never ends. I mean, personally, I hate custard creams, <laughs> but but I want to, you know, I want to complain about something. It's my British right to complain about someone in another country not getting something British, even if I don't like to eat it. <laughs> And it, it goes beyond biscuits as well. There's been huge issues with uh, the export of shellfish uh, from Britain. Um, uh, one owner of a shellfish shop in Britain that's had to close down uh, said that dealing with new Brexit paperwork and declarations was like, quotes, playing Russian roulette with five bullets in your gun, um, which um, I don't know, it might be five times as exciting. I don't know. I've never really, I've never really tried it with one bullet in a gun. Uh, you could also have had, uh, rather than if, you, if you're not onto the uh, Russian roulette uh, with five bullets in your gun, you could have also had it was like playing water polo in a tank full of sharks while smeared in seal-flavoured ketchup, like playing snooker in a helicopter during a big hurricane like playing tonsil tennis with a t-rex like playing monopoly with jeff bezos or a uh, final option it's like playing rugby union i mean is that level of confusion and chaos <laughs> that, uh, that we are did the about. shellfish come in giving it all that um you <laughs> won't be able to hear that joke that was, but, some, uh, that was if, a very visual joke for a podcast yes yeah but, uh, the, uh, but i mean if this goes online yeah. that will absolutely smash <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's going to be problems with cockles and winkles and bivalve mollusks Ugh. um when you it doesn't sound particularly ap- appetizing when you refer to it as a bivalve mollusk it would be like referring to like lamb as like a beating heart with some connective tissue <laughs> surrounded <laughs> by flesh like um because i i've i don't eat shellfish that's just a personal thing because now they make me very sick but i've had to come up with this new rule for a lot of that kind of mollusky shellfish stuff basically if it's been clinging to a rock in the mediterranean don't put it in your mouth you know shellfish cristiano ronaldo whatever (laughs) if it's (laughs) i can't i can't have them but i but cockles and winkles i used to enjoy as a child these all feel like cockney foods to me so i don't understand how we're getting them like cockles and winkles and jellyfish are like the top three. Jellyfish. Like Cockney. <laughs> well, jelly jellyfish. Deals. <laughs> jelly deal. Jelly deals. Yeah. 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 yeah jelly deals. Oh, you, like you, you meant like you meant jellied fish as in fish that's been put in aspic rather than actual jellyfish. No, jelly. De- did I say jellyfish? Yeah. Yes. Jelly deals. <laughs> Je- oh, jellyfish. Cock. What? Wait. What? I've gone mad. It's been so long since I've been to a Cockney party because there's been no parties where we have jellyfish. That was my. In fact, that was Scottish. Uh, Scottish boyfriend explains a hing's entrance <laughs> into the world of the Cockney was my godfather's seventy fifth birthday, and he walked in and went, "What is that noise?" And I was like, "Oh, that is the sound of Cockneys slurping jelly deal off the bone." what a delicious what a delicious it's a snake chopped up and shoved in lube and served at a party while you listen to Chaz and Dave British delicacy it is if we do food so well Alice I can't believe I can't believe after after everything after like the knowledge of jelly deals that you would dare say that we like beige food (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, um, you clearly only like beige food because it's the only thing that isn't like actively disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's the this only thing must that's be delicious, I guess. <laughs> yeah. In fact, when uh, Paul and I got engaged, we had a picture of haggis and jelly deal as our engagement sort of bringing together <laughs> both our disgusting foodstuffs. Who says romance is dead? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, in summary, it turns out that uh, she sells seashells on the seashore because she hasn't got the correct paperwork to sell seafood to Spanish restaurants any small. Uh, uh, yoga conspiracy theory news now, and uh, yoga, the... Um, I don't know what it is. Well, it is, it's not a sport, so... <laughs> Well, it looks like it should be a sport. It's a, it's a, but it it's a spiritual yet. sport. It's yeah, it's a training sport. sport. It could evolve into a sport, couldn't it? It's, it's like you know, it's a, like a fish climbing out of the sea. One day it will be a fully fledged sport. Um, it's been rocked to its core by conspiracy theories, uh, apparently. Yes, these people are not just stretching the bounds of the physical capacity of the human body to bend. They are stretching the bounds of the human imagination uh, to encompass really stupid ideas. Now, I'm not going to suggest that believing in access to spiritual enlightenment via stretching is maybe a precursor to some sort of gullible willingness to swallow any garbage theory that floats your way. <laughs> I was brought up Buddhist, and I strongly believe the only way to escape from the inevitable suffering cycle of life is to be very aware of your breathing. But, A, there's science to support my belief, and B, these people are very strange. I will say that there is a sort of a type of person who might be drawn to yoga who is willing to swallow a litre of salt water first thing in the morning so they can then uncontrollably cleanse their bowels like that's a good thing. <laughs> And if you're willing to do that, you might also swallow some other theories that will inevitably lead to an explosion of shit. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, worrying to me, guys. I'm a big fan of the yoga. I've been doing yoga with Adrian during lockdown. Actually, in the, Paul and I did a session together. And in the middle of one of our yoga sessions, I let rip with a massive fart. And then two seconds later on screen, Adrian said, just breathe in deep and notice the quality of the air around you. <laughs> And then we had to stop because I destroyed yoga um, <laughs> and <laughs> everything about it. But it is, it's, uh, uh, QAnon has found its way into the wellness community, I think. Is that the, that the kind of news that we're talking about here? They're calling it Pastel Q. That's what they're calling it. So the wellness community getting involved with the QAnon. Well, it's a similar thing because you start with like quite obvious things. Like you don't want to see children getting molested by underground tunnel gangs of powerful billionaires. Like no one's going to say that they, they want that. So that you've got a little in. And equally, who doesn't want to be able to walk up a set of stairs with full motion in their knees? You know, <laughs> you start small and then they build you up to, you know, trying to breathe through your sphincter. Like this is... <laughs> I'm I, haven't reached, I haven't reached sphincter breathing nirvana yet, but I'm hoping to <laughs> one day. I'm learning a lot about yoga here. <laughs> Well, a few of the gurus have apparently posted, um, so they've posted like Q QAnon stuff and coronavirus hoax stuff, but they're mixing it with wellness. So what you're seeing is someone putting a picture of the sky with like coronavirus is a hoax, don't wear a mask. And I just like the idea of conspiracy mixed with vaguely inspirational pictures, you know, like a picture, <laughs> picture of someone in the lotus position with Hillary's emails just written underneath <laughs> in like a really beautiful cursive uh, font or uh, a picture of a tree with 
Pizzagate is real, written on leaves underneath. And now I've said that, someone is going to do, to do only, that. Only true love can melt a hard heart, but jet fuel cannot melt steel beams. <laughs> Unstoppable decay of American democratic heritage news now. And, well, we had to come to this eventually, but Donald Trump is a free man. He has been unconvicted on a 43 to 57 minority uh, not guilty verdict. Um, and uh, so he's off the hook. Um, I mean, lifted off the hook by his friends, the hook on which he had dived stomach first while screaming, look at me, I'm impaling myself on the hook. Um, <laughs> innocent of uh, all charges. It does help when you don't need a majority to convict you and you can uh, t- talk to the jurors during the, the case. So he is still... So, so yeah, that's it. I mean, he's still clinging on for dear life as we speak to his uh, spot in the top 50 greatest American presidents of uh, all time uh, list. And it's been a disappointing sequel, a sequel so often are. Um, the uh, impeachment too. Um, this time it's <laughs> belated and uh, ineffective. Um, it was. I mean, it is a very. It's been a very curious thing to follow um, as a you know as a as a as an outside spectator and the, you know the structures of uh, Amer- American democracy that seem you know just absolutely geared. Uh, towards uh, failure on as many possible levels <laughs> as as they can imagine. Well, I was watching this trial, and I, you know, what's that thing where you know how something's going to turn out? Like you know how it's going to turn out, but you're also surprisingly disappointed when it does turn out that way. Life is that it? Oh yes, uh, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone knew that the Republicans were not going to pull the ripcord on Trump because the ripcord here was also the umbilical cord to the sweet, sweet votes of all the deliciously delusional Southern <laughs> secessionists. Come, is it ironic Nazi cosplayers slash Reddit militia men with a hard on for the idea that the only way to achieve democracy is by violent revolution in an America where that already happened two hundred years ago? I. I don't know, Andy. I'm disappointed because I think I've watched too many Mighty Ducks movies to not secretly hope the underdog will pull through. And the fact that in this scenario, the underdog is facts and law is deeply depressing. (laughs) That's not so much an underdog as an underpuppy that's been drowned in a canal at birth. (laughs) I mean, could they at least have pretended that they were doing a trial? I think that's what was so upsetting to me about it, that half of them were so obviously ignoring... Uh, all of the evidence from the other side and it it was just so you know ted cruz uh got in trouble for tweeting about breast milk during the impeachment trial did you follow that story well it was yes he he tweeted um uh orwellian the words breast milk are now forbidden because science referring to a story um uh, from as is so often the way with stories such as this, uh, taken wildly out of context by the anti-woke media uh, from a hospital in, in, in Brighton that's attempting to introduce trans-inclusive language um, uh, to its uh, maternity services. And, um, it, uh, well, I mean, it would be Orwellian if it were true, um, but it's not true, uh, so it isn't. Uh, but Ted Cruz uh, was having none of that. Um, and, I mean, it's you're the latest... Uh, opening of the cultural but I guess the point was should he have been tweeting about breast milk whilst ostensibly attempting to be an impartial juror essentially in the trial of his friend I mean that's it it might even be peak America that the Ted Cruz breast milk tweet 
Uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes Ted has just got to speak freely. I like the fact that he sort of attempted to give a shit about women's bodily autonomy with it. Like that's his, what his tweet was. But I, you're thinking about Ted Cruz who criticised, who's been pr- like anti-abortion all along, criticised the vasectomy bill, sort of exposing his hypocrisy on on reproductive rights when he was like, oh, government big enough, big enough to give you everything is big enough to take everything away, literally. And, you know, it was a response. It was kind of almost like a, um, not a trolling, but it was a response to the, you know, the legislations, I think, in Georgia. So someone had put forward a bill going, you know, mandatory vasectomies for, for men over 50. And uh, Ted Cruz got very annoyed. It was like, yeah, imagine the government interfering with your reproductive rights. That must be awful, Ted. <laughs> I... I am grateful to Ted Cruz's teat tweets because sometimes, Andy, I am just too horny. And when I am, <laughs> I read a story like this to protect the world from my powerful sexual energy. I mean, here is a suggestion for both the NHS and the Ted Cruz, for the left and the right, whoever. What about doctors and midwives just ask people what terms they prefer when they come in with a baby in them? I think those are the people whose business it is. And I have a hankering for my particular nutritionizing of a high hypothetical infant infant to be called suck blasting and i will insist on this with all of my primary health care providers stop bringing common sense into it alice it is not it's, welcome i want suck blasting if they refuse to call it suck blasting i will mutter quietly to myself and carry on with raising a child because i'm in the privileged position of not having to give much of a shit the point is this is such a non-story but it is good it is good when you need a quick boner killer Uh, well that brings us to the end of uh, this week's bugle thank you very much uh, for listening Uh, there will be a short break before the next bugle because we're shifting back to friday recording so the next bugle will be at the end of next week uh, recording on friday the 26th so it'll be available on saturday the 27th we have a, a live show to plug 27th of March at 8pm UK time. It's a ticketed uh, live show. Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the live button or look for it on the internet. However, to fill that gap between now and the next Bugle at the end of next week, there is episode one of The Gargle with Alice Fraser. Alice, tell us about this uh, landmark moment in the history of uh, human broadcasting. <laughs> Well, for every uh, satirical political news show, there is a show that is also about the news, but not about the politics. And by for everyone, I mean just for this one, I think, just for the Bugle. (laughs) This is the Saturday magazine pullout section of the Bugle. We're going to talk about arts, we're going to talk about culture, we're going to talk about technology, uh, probably dinosaurs, who knows? Uh, But we're going to have a grand old time. You may see some familiar voices floating into your ear holes or hear them or whatever, however you perceive voices. and some new ones as well and it'll be coming out weekly starting in this um little gap find it on the internet or wherever you usually get your podcasts or in the show notes for this apparently says chris some technical term um so there it is <laughs> coming soon to the inside of your skull uh, tiffany shows to uh to plug yes i have a show on the 19th uh, so this Friday, uh, for any American listeners, because um, look, I could have done what Mike Biglia did and put it on in the afternoon in America so that people in the evening could listen to it in London. But that would that would uh, require pre-planning. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't have any of that. So it's it's 6 p.m. Um, Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time. 
on the 19th. Tickets are from $10 and I think free for healthcare workers. They give a bunch of free tickets away. So please come, be, please buy some tickets and it's all it's a new hour I'm working and that's on Friday. Uh, great. Uh, thanks uh, for that. We'll be back at the end of next week. In the meantime, do listen to The Gargle. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.